In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning. On this last Sunday of the liturgical year, Christ the King Sunday we call it, we have what I think is one of the more difficult texts in all of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, As you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. The hospitable are declared righteous, and they are welcomed into the kingdom, and the inhospitable are declared unrighteous, and they are cast out in judgment. Every week in vestry, or every month in vestry meetings, uh, we begin each meeting by taking a look at the upcoming gospel passage. Uh, And so last week at our vestry meeting, we had a very lively discussion about this passage. And one said, you know, it seems pretty straightforward. You do these things and you're in. And another said, but wait, I know that God accepts us by His grace and not according to what we have done. So you can see the problem that this passage might create. And each week we proclaim from this pulpit uh, that God accepts us based on His love for us and what He has accomplished on His cross and not how good we are or how closely we follow the rules. And yet we have this passage that on the surface seems pretty straightforward. Is Jesus saying that you're in or you're out? based on whether or not you fed the hungry or visited the sick, clothed the naked, and so on? What I hope that you will see in this passage is that Jesus knows that grace which has been truly received changes us and such that we love what God loves. Say that again. Grace that has been truly received changes us such that we love what God loves. Now where this passage has really challenged me personally is to ask myself whether I am more often a consumer or a convert of God's grace. Three things to notice in this passage. First, the return that Jesus is describing. Second, the relationship Jesus is describing. And third, the result that Jesus is describing. So the return, the relationship, the result. First, the return that Jesus is describing. This is Jesus' last teaching before the Last Supper. And then, of course, the betrayal and the crucifixion. And so before he goes away, he is teaching about his return. And he is just describing this magnificent scene. You and I may be too just more worried about whether or not we're sheep or goats, and we miss the glorious moment that Jesus is describing. This is the end of all things, the grand finale of all grand finales. The Son of Man returns. Angels are all around Him, He says. And He takes His rightful seat on His throne in glory. And you can just imagine Him robed with Golden light. Just just this magnificent scene. And then he says, all nations have been gathered to him. Everyone. From every nation. From every generation. No one gets left out. You and I, we're there. We're in this scene. Your children. Your grandchildren. Your parents. 
your grandparents, everybody, we're all there. Billions of people are there. As one commentator has said, Jesus is the ultimate gravitational force in the universe. Everyone is in the throne room of God beholding the return of the King, who is, of course, the resurrected and exalted Jesus Christ. Jesus here is describing a staggering scene. Nothing's hidden. There are no secrets now. Everything's out on the table. And in this important moment, this moment of judgment, Jesus once again employs the imagery of Himself as a shepherd. Now don't miss this. Because He could have described Himself as a courtroom judge. But He didn't. He's the Good Shepherd. This is a pastoral, tender image in a difficult moment. Jesus knows His sheep. They know His voice. That He came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is and He always is the Good Shepherd. He loves His flock. And He also is the King. And He also, in the final judgment, is the Judge. And we hear that. We hear that He's the Judge. We automatically, at least I do anyway, think automatically of an angry Judge. And I think... That is particularly why Jesus employs the tender metaphor that He is the Good Shepherd. And so the return that Jesus is describing is this magnificent scene of glory, and there's this final judgment, there's separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. So, because of that separation, righteous and unrighteous, let's take a look at the relationship that Jesus is describing. You know, what's striking is that neither the righteous nor the unrighteous knew that how they treated the poor had anything to do with how they treated Jesus. What distinguishes them, in a sort of ultimate sense, is their relationship to Jesus. Jesus says, as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. What qualifies the righteous as righteous is not necessarily that they fed the poor, but that they served Christ. And ultimately, it wasn't simply that the unrighteous left the naked unclothed or the sick without visitors, but that they ignored Christ. Jesus said, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. The unrighteous certainly would have served the poor if they'd just been given a heads up that it had eternal consequences. But then they would have just been serving themselves. Which ought to give us pause. If we hear this and we think, well, I'm going to go serve the homeless so that I can uh, get into heaven. If that's our motivation, then this says we're disqualified. No, what matters in an ultimate sense is our relationship to Christ. But certainly... Certainly, a true relationship with Jesus bears fruit, doesn't it? Both in the way that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also certainly in how we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus is expecting that in our relationship with Him, we are so changed, so transformed, so new, that we love and care for the ones that He loves and cares for. 
the Right Reverend Geraldine Wolf, who is the former bishop of Rhode Island, spent a month during a sabbatical that she had while she was bishop. Uh, she spent a month as a homeless woman in the city of Providence, Rhode Island. She had moved around uh, a lot, more than annually, as a child, and so she always identified uh, with homelessness as a concept. And yet, she wanted to go deeper. She wanted to learn about their plight. And so, for a month, unbeknownst to most of her diocese, uh, she grew her hair out, she changed her name, she begged for money, she rummaged for clothes, and she lived and ate in shelters. And she went to church to see how she would be treated. And Bishop Wolf recalls, during that month, there were moments full of grace and moments of deep disappointment. The graceful moments were when people actually welcomed me, asked if there was anything that they could do, handed me a leaflet, invited me downstairs to coffee hour and refreshments, or in some case gave me oranges or a bag of nuts. But then on the other side, there were those who were almost afraid to look at me. She says, I went to one church and they had breakfast for $3. And when I said that I thought that was more than I could pay, I was reminded that it was $3 for a continental breakfast, but $5 for the full breakfast. It was toward the end of breakfast time, and so I said, how about just some of that fruit, just, just a little bit? I never received it, and that made me very sad. Part of me was wailing inside for the lack of hospitality. It was particularly difficult because it is a church that I really love. And she concluded, for some reason... We just choose to see whom we want to see. When you ask the question, when did we see you hungry? If you have to ask that question, probably you hadn't gotten the message yet. In other words, Bishop Wolf is saying that she came face to face within the church, both what this passage calls the righteous and the unrighteous. As their bishop, she loved them all. And they were probably all lovely people at a dinner party. And had they known who it was, they would have waited on her hand and foot. But what she received when they didn't know who she was was very different. In Jesus' teaching, the righteous weren't serving the poor in order to get on the good side of the king. They had no idea that their service had eternal consequences. The clear implication is that they were serving the down and out simply because they were down and out. And yet Jesus receives that as service to Himself. A little like Bishop Wolf, Jesus was incognito, identifying Himself not with the rich and the beautiful, but with society's least, with the down and out, the hungry, the naked, the sick, going so far as to call them His family. And perhaps this shouldn't be surprising to us because when the Lord of glory came from heaven to earth, He was born to a, by His own choice to a poor, unwed couple. The birth announcement came not to princes and palaces, but to shepherds on a hill. He lived as a wanderer with nowhere to lay His head. 
His greatest glory came in humiliating defeat. His life was exalted through death. And all so that he could love the unlovely and give unexpected, undeserved grace to us. To clothe the spiritually naked. To heal the morally sick. And to offer freedom to those imprisoned by self-centeredness. Those who have received such redeeming love from Jesus inevitably begin to love what He loves. To love who He loves. This is what our baptismal covenant expects when we commit ourselves to striving for justice and peace among all peoples and respecting the dignity of every human being. A graciousness that is formed and fashioned by the continued receiving of God's grace. It doesn't mean open affirmation of every behavior and every ideology, but it does mean treating everyone with the dignity that Jesus Himself deserves. And it does mean that Jesus has treated us with the dignity that only He deserves. How do you treat people that require extra grace? How do you respond to people uh, that smell, that beg, that are probably taking advantage of you. Think first of how Jesus has loved you and then love with that love. That is the relationship that Jesus is describing. So finally, let's look at the result that Jesus describes. The result uh, can rightly be called divine judgment. But remember, Jesus is positioning Himself here as the Good Shepherd. And as the commentator, I've quoted him several times before, Robert Capon, as he points out, any separation that occurs between sheep and goats must be seen as occurring within His shepherding, not as constituting a divorce from it. Highlighting how Jesus' teaching and parables are chocked full of relentless grace for the undeserving, the prodigal son, the idle laborers, for the tax collector, and on and on. Capon writes, the only reason that judgment ever comes into it at all is the sad fact that there will always be dummies who refuse to trust a good thing when it's handed to them on a platter. C.S. Lewis described it like this. He said, there are those who say to God, thy will be done. And there are those to whom God says, Thy will be done. This is what I mean when I say that I have been challenged by this passage over whether I'm more often a consumer of God's grace or a convert of God's grace. Imagine that your favorite Broadway show is coming into town. You've got two friends that you want to spend some time with. And so you buy three tickets, one for you and one for each of your friends. And both of them take the tickets as a gift that you've given them freely. And one calls you and tells you he's really looking forward to spending that time with you and so grateful for your generosity. You find out the other one sells the ticket and pockets the cash. One has received the gift and enjoyed the relationship that comes with it. The other has received the gift 
and used it only to his advantage, and in doing so has damaged the relationship. And I think that this difficult question asks, or this difficult teaching asks that question of us. Have we received God's grace and enjoyed the experience of that relationship? Or have we simply used it to our own advantage? Are we converts or consumers? Is His grace changing us and lifting our gaze away from our self-centeredness and towards the world around us? Do we love the people that He loves? Jesus says, as you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And He's our good shepherd. He's Christ the King. He died and rose again. And He will return for you. Amen.